Hey, I'm glad to see you today. I want to welcome you to worship. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Always glad to have you. I, I couldn't help but notice I was standing in the back, and Bill said, now today's the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday, the kids stay in here and worship with us, and they don't go to children's church. And, and I heard a bunch of kids in the back groan. Which really encouraged me as I came up to speak. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, you know, we had three channels on the TV. Three, that was it. And if the president was on, it was like, oh, no. That's the only thing we got. I think that's kind of the way they feel when they have to stay and listen to me. But I'm glad that you're here today. And you know what? We finished up our, our sermon series on guardrails. And I, I'm just going to quickly give a review because every week we have first-time guests. And so I want to quickly tell you what this series is about. This this is the fifth and final Sunday we're talking about it. Several years ago, Laura and I were up in uh, Colorado Springs, and we were go uh, watching Pikes Peak all week. We were looking out the window of a retreat center looking at it. And after the retreat was over, we drove up on top of Pikes Peak, and I learned something. As you drive up there, you have... It's a long way. It takes a long time to get. It's over 14,000 feet. So it's way up. So you drive up. But here's what you have. When you get close to the top, you have this thing called the timber line. And the timber line is where the trees can't grow anymore because there's no oxygen up there. There's not as much. And so, you know, you have this false sense of security as you're driving up this mountain because there's trees on both sides of the road. And you think, well, okay, it's pretty safe. But then you get up there above the timber line and it's just rocks and there there are no trees there. And you begin to think about guardrails. I wish they had a guardrail here. You know, and so, and when you're driving, guardrails protect us, don't they? A guardrail is a system designed to keep you from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And there's some things that guardrails do. Guardrails direct and protect us. Guardrails also are placed in a safety zone, and guardrails are designed to minimize damage to our vehicles. But there's other kind of guardrails in life besides the ones on the highway. There's guardrails that are financial or moral or relational. There's spiritual. There's all kinds of guardrails, behavioral, that we can have in our lives. And it's a protection to us. It's kind of like an alarm going off that says, don't cross that line. Don't go into that territory or that zone. That could be trouble. A guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter matter of conscience. We just feel like, I, I don't need to do that, or I don't need to go in that direction. Maybe it's a check in our spirits that says, hey, listen, that's not the right thing to do. I'm going to do something differently. So today I want to talk about guarding your heart, guarding your heart. Now, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he wrote uh, back in the day in ancient times, he was considered that, and he wrote three books in the Bible. He wrote Proverbs, he wrote Song of Solomon, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. Now, he wrote about all kinds of things. If you read what he wrote, it's an amazing wisdom. He wrote about money, he wrote about relationships. He wrote about marriage. He wrote about work. He wrote about what happens to a person when they die, what we can expect in the future. He wrote about how life can seem meaningless, but life also, he wrote about, can have hope. 
And in that, he wrote about a lot of different things. And in Proverbs, he says, there's a lot of stuff that I wrote. It's important. You need to read it. But he says, there's this one thing that I said that's really important. Out of all the stuff this wise man wrote, he said, there's one thing I want to make sure that you get. I want you to pay attention to this. And it's Proverbs 4, 23. And it says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, if that's the case, if what he's saying is true, then learning to guard what is within us is important because it has an impact on what comes out of us. You know, whatever we think about, whatever we believe, whatever we live, whatever our heart feels, that's what comes out of us. Have you ever thought about that? And so are we at peace in our hearts with God and with other people? The question is, how do you guard your heart? How does that work? A thousand years after Solomon wrote this, Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing. And wherever he went, there was a crowd that followed. There were all kinds of people in the crowd, but a lot of the crowd was made up of religious leaders. It was made up of Pharisees and teachers of the law. It was made up of scribes and priests and high priests, a lot of different kinds of people. And those particular people, those religious leaders, their goal was always to try to get close to Jesus so they could ask him a question. And it was always a trick question. They were always trying to stump Jesus. They were trying to embarrass him. They were trying to give him a question that he couldn't answer. They were always trying to make themselves look superior to him. And every once in a while, they would get up close and they would ask a trick question. And it says in Matthew, here's what they asked. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, in the Old Testament law, anybody who had to do sacred work had all kinds of ritual, ceremonial washings that had to take place. If you were a religious leader and you were going to be sacrificing something, you were going to be presenting something to God, you were going to do something that was something that was sacred before God, then there were a lot of ceremonial things that you had to practice because you didn't want to touch something unclean and then do the work of God. So your hands constantly had to be cleaned. And so they actually had a law that the religious leaders were supposed to follow. But these religious leaders took this law one step further, and they said, no, there's a tradition, and it's something we came up with. It's man-made. It's a tradition. And it's not just the religious leaders that have to do this, but it's all Jews. Every Jew has to do this. Now, here's the difference. The law said the religious leaders have to do it, but some of the Jewish people said, no, Everybody who's a Jew has to do it. So one was a law, one was a tradition. And what Jesus did in his day was he obeyed the law, but he didn't really obey their traditions. They weren't important to him. They didn't matter to him. They were just something they came up with. So Jesus replied to them and he said, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, what he's saying is, God has a law. 
All you need to do is follow the law. But what you're choosing to do is you're choosing to break the law in order to follow your tradition. That's the opposite of the way things should be. The law is a priority, and it takes precedent over the tradition. And so for them, they were in a disagreement there. Now, Jesus would, they said, you're actually breaking the law to fulfill your tradition. Now, let me give you an example of this, a more modern day example of this, okay? Let's say that you're a father and you have a teenage daughter and you say to your teenage daughter, don't speak disrespectfully to your mother as all fathers of teenage daughters have done or will do. Trust me, it's going to happen, okay? This topic is going to come up, okay? And so the teenager daughter says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. In order not to break the rule that you came up with that says don't speak disrespectfully to my mother, I'm going to make another rule. And my rule is that I'm not going to speak to her at all. (laughs) And that way... I won't speak disrespectfully to her. You see how she came up with her own rule? It's not like I'll just go with the flow. I'll do what dad says. Nay, nay. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to come up with my own rule. So there, na, 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 na. And she comes up with her own rule, right? And then her father says, no, that rule is being disrespectful to your mother. You're actually taking the the rule that I gave you, you're breaking it, coming up with your own rule, and it's it's not accomplishing the whole purpose, the behind the rule in the first place. The daughter didn't want to speak to the mom. She came up with her own rule. Now she doesn't have to speak. You can follow me. You get what I'm saying? That's what they did. That's what these religious leaders did. They came up with a rule to keep from breaking the rule so they could do whatever they wanted to do. So there, okay? There were some things of the law that Moses had given that they didn't want to keep, so they just came up with their own rules, and they said, well, we'll just get around that. We'll have traditions. Basically, they were breaking the actual law to preserve their traditions. Sometimes, sometimes in life we can be so foolish. Sometimes in life we just do things because that's the way we've always done them before, and there's really no rhyme or reason to them, and there's no need for us to make that such a priority because it's not really that important. What's important is being faithful and obedient to God. So Jesus continues, and he says this, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Now, here's what happened. These religious leaders came up with a tradition to get out of the law. And what you're supposed to do is take care of your family in that day. And then you're supposed to share and provide for them. But the religious leaders had come up with a rule, and they said, here's what you can do. You can dedicate everything that you've got now to the temple. So that, and the, the whole, it's a loophole to keep you from being generous. Isn't that sad? That's a sad thing. You know, I can't be giving while I'm living because I've already dedicated everything to the temple. And they took it to the ultimate extent where their elderly parents who didn't have retirement, who didn't have Social Security, who didn't have any way to take care of themselves, they would come to their kids and they would say, we need help. Can you help us financially? And they would say, well, you know, I'd like to help you. 
but I've already dedicated everything to the temple, so I can't help you. You're out of luck. Why didn't they just help them? Why did they come up with this loophole? Why did they come up with this tradition that, that, ju that just totally denies the law? So he continues, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever you're reading the scripture and Jesus says, you hypocrites, that's when the conversation is pretty much over, okay? Because what he does is he just tells them off in front of God and everybody. He's just telling them the truth, and they don't have a leg to stand on, and so they just kind of mumble and walk away because they know that what he's saying is right. They just don't want to do it. And so they're stubborn about that. They're stiff-necked people, and he makes them look foolish when that happens. And when that happens, then all the people in the crowd celebrate. They celebrate because the, these religious leaders are not merciful or graceful toward them. And so when they try to show Jesus up, he shows them up, and the crowd loves it because they, the crowd knows that the religious leaders don't care anything about them anyway, and they're not real crazy about them also. So then he turns to the crowd because all the religious leaders have left now, right? They've gone. They're like, okay, I guess we'll take our toys and go home. He showed us. And it says this, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. You see, their, li their lives, they had been taught laws. Laws, laws will eat this, eat this, don't take that, don't do this. It has to be, it has to be ceremony, clean, clean. A lot of, lot of laws and rules. Jesus said, Jesus said, new day, we got a new thing going on. So this all, this all out. It's not, it's not in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth because what, because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. And your heart is what God is interested in. And your heart reflects how you feel about him. And it reflects how you feel about other people. So guard your heart. Take care of your heart because you got to be at peace with God. you got to be at peace with other people. you got to be at peace with yourself. And you need to guard your heart. Now, years ago, or twice, two different times, but years ago, Laura and I the first time went to Israel. And when we got to Israel, I discovered something when I got there that I didn't know was going to be the case. When I got to Israel, I discovered that I don't like the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> There's a lot of people who love it. There's a lot of people, you just say hummus, they just, their mouth waters, okay? <laughs> you know, you go to Israel and they give you a falafel. I called it an awful. I, who wants that? Let me get you some chickpea stuff, okay? Why? Why would you want to have that? It's just really not something I enjoy. So I would go to Israel, and I would eat what little they had for breakfast that I wanted. I would eat that. And then I would eat lunch, and, and we would go out and walk every day. So we would make our lunch, and I would take a couple of pieces of bread. I'd probably make two sandwiches. And I would take peanut butter because they had peanut butter, and I would take honey because that's what they had, and I would make me a peanut butter and honey sandwich. That's what I'd have for lunch, and I'd probably eat two of those. And then we would go, and we would stop, and every time we stopped and go into one of those tourist traps, they would have bottled water. And you carried bottled water because this was in July. And by the way, if you ever go to Israel, that's not the time to go okay 
Don't go in July. It's really a, it's like July here, okay? It's really hot there. The second time I went, I went the day after Christmas, much better. Go at that time of the year. So you go, and you go into the tourist traps, and you get bottled water and Magnum ice cream because you're starving, okay? Because basically for me, Israel was a weight loss clinic. That's basically what happened <laughs> to me. I happened to be in Israel, but really it was all about hiking in the hot sun and losing weight and praying that my head didn't explode in the heat, okay? So so I'm out there. And, and but, but now, when you go in to eat something there, you can't get bacon and eggs for breakfast, okay? Because it's not kosher. You can't have dairy and meat together, right? So you can't eat what you want. And when they say to you at the buffet, there's going to be salad, they lie. They lie through their teeth. It's not salad. There's no lettuce inside. You can't find lettuce there. It's, it's pasta, all kinds of pasta, and a lot of other junk, too, that you don't want. It's all kind, and they got a lot of it. It's all there. It looks real nice. It's all clean. They got the glass above it and everything. You can't find lettuce, okay? But I'm not bitter. I've moved on, okay? But while I'm there, it's a weight loss. I went to McDonald's because I was starving after being, I was there for 17 days. There wasn't much left of me when I came home. I, Laura and I were on the bus. I said, we're stopping at the Ben Yehuda Mall on the way back. We can walk from there back to where we're staying, and we're going to stop at McDonald's. And we went to McDonald's, and I walked in, and I said, I'd like a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And they said, not in Jerusalem, you wouldn't. You can't have it. It's not kosher. You can't buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's in Jerusalem. You can't buy a milkshake there. You can't get it. They won't sell it to you. You can't have it. But I'm not bitter. I moved on. I got a Coke and some fries. I ate my hamburger, and I was grateful to that. And boy, it tasted good. Because I was sleeping in this place, so I would just skip supper. I went because I didn't want it anyway. You'd be out all day long. You'd be hot. You'd be sweaty. You'd be hiking. You come in. They only turned the air conditioner on in this particular place, four o'clock in the afternoon, ten o'clock at night. So I'd go in there. I'd get in bed. I'd shower. I'd clean up, and then I'd get in there and I'd enjoy the air conditioner. I'd go to sleep. Laura would go to dinner. Joe's not coming to dinner. No, he's not going to dinner. He's back in the room. He's got air conditioning. He's sleeping. That's what he's doing. He doesn't care because there's nothing here he wants to eat. So he's just back there sleeping. So you get a good nap from 4 to 10. And then at 10 o'clock, they would turn off the air conditioner, okay? Well, then you had to get up and turn the fans on. Then you had to open the window. And Ray Stevens was out in the alleyway singing Ahab the Arab, the Sheik of the Burning Sand. That's what, I'm not making this up. That really happened when I was there. And listen, they had one TV in the lobby. This was an old hotel. One TV in the lobby. Three Palestinian men ran that hotel. You know what they're watching? This was not that long ago. This was like in the 90s, okay? In the late 90s, you know what they were watching? Every night, they're glued to the set. All three of them, they're watching Bonanza. <laughs> That's it. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I'd been there for several days. I walked over to them. I said, guys, guys, time out. The commercial's on. Let me just talk to you about Bonanza, okay? They never marry. They're all dead. Let's move on, okay? Why are you watching this? There's, there's other things that you could enjoy. Maybe you could find something good to eat somewhere, okay? All right. I digress. But here's the point. Jesus says it's not wrapped up in what you eat. 
but it's wrapped up in what you say and what comes out of your heart and how you treat other people. Listen and understand, he says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouths, that's what defiles them. And so it's important for us to know that. And Jesus came and he said, you know what? I've got something better than the law. I've got something that supersedes the law. I've got something that makes Moses' law obsolete, and it's new, and it's important. And then he goes on and says this, because he's explaining this, and when he's explaining it, Peter's still going, I don't get it. Can you explain it again? Okay. And so this is what he says. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and those defile them. The thing that, that puts a person at odds with God is not what goes in, but what comes out of us. It's a complete reversal of what they've always been taught. They've been brought up to believe, just keep God happy. Number one priority. You can treat other people any way you want to, but take care of God, right? And God says, no, you know what? When you hurt other people, you hurt me. Because I love those people as well as I love you. And so it's important not only how you treat me, but it's important how you treat other people. And then Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So he's saying what comes out of you is what defiles a person, not what goes in. And he says, your behavior will mirror your heart. Hey, there's no way around it. What's in here is going to come out. If you're at peace with yourself, if you're at peace with God, if you're at peace with other people, that's going to come out. But if you're not, then other things are going to come out. So I want to, I want to just quickly go over four emotions, and then we're going to talk about what to do with those emotions, okay? The first one is this, guilt. Guilt is the first emotion. The second one's anger. The third is greed. And the fourth one is jealousy. Guilt says, I owe you something, and because I took something from you, and maybe I'm too proud to talk about it, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to come out in a passive, aggressive way, and so you're going to ask them, what's wrong? And they're going to say, nothing, nothing's wrong. But, but they cannot betray their heart. I don't want to tell you because I'm carrying guilt. Anger says, you owe me, and if you don't pay me back, I'm going to get back at you because you owe me. And the problem with anger is it leaks. Anger never stays with its origin. What happens is this person makes you mad, and then you take it out on everybody else, right, throughout the day, and they didn't even have anything to do with it. And instead of dealing with it, you're carrying it, and it's coming out, and you think that you're, you're guarding your heart. You think that it's not showing, but it is, and it comes out, and, and it's ugly. And so when you hurt other people, you hurt God. And then greed. Greed says, I owe me, and I don't care about the rest of you, okay? Last week I said this. We were talking about stewardship, talking about what God says about giving and about money. And I said, greed is the assumption that everything I have is for my consumption. But that's not what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible says money, the purpose of money, we said this last week, the purpose of money is so that I might have enough to share with those in need. And when you come up here and you put money in these baskets when we take communion today, you're saying that I want to help the We Care Ministry. I want to help the food pantry. I've got something I want to share with those who don't have, and I'm going to provide resources, and, and we have unpaid volunteers who take care of it, and I'm going to help them to help other people. And because of your generosity, above and beyond the budget, over $70,000 comes in every year because you do what the Bible says to do. You share. What do you teach your children and grandchildren to do? To share. And, and so you share. <clears throat> Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. I won't always be here, but the poor you will always have with you. Why? So that we can put into practice the Christian faith, so that we can share with those in need because God loves a disgruntled giver, right? Isn't that what it says? God loves a stingy giver, somebody who's bitter when they give. That's what he's, no. God loves a cheerful giver. That's right. And you know what? You can't give ultimately without it impacting you in a positive way. You give, it makes you feel better. You know, you think you're going to help somebody else. You walk away going, well, that was a blessing. I want to do that again. What a blessing that was. And you know, you like to give and just watch somebody be blessed. You ever do that? Laura and I were at the mall one time years ago. I saw a preacher friend I knew, and I knew that he didn't have a lot of resources. And, you know, I thought, this is no big deal. This is really no big deal. And so I went to the people at the restaurant where he was eating, and, and it was lunchtime, and I said, I want you to find out what his bill is, and I want to pay you, and I want to give you a tip. And then when he comes up to leave, I want you to tell him somebody took care of the bill, okay? And they said, okay. And then Laura and I went and hid and we just sat there and waited until he came up to pay his bill. And they said, sir, your bill has already been paid. And this big smile came on his face. And I wanted to say to Laura, let's do it again. I mean, it was just such a blessing, right? God loves a cheerful giver. And so we want to give and be a blessing to someone else, right? And so greed is all about me, but giving is what Christian people do. And then jealousy. Jealousy is life owes me. Somebody else got what I deserve. Now I'm jealous of them and I want to get back of them. And also what happens with jealousy is if you begin to celebrate another person that you're jealous of, if you begin to celebrate their loss or their failure, things didn't work out in their lives, their life the way that they wanted it to, and you start to celebrate that, then that's beginning to show you what's in your heart. That's a red flag. That's a check in your spirit. That's your conscience saying, you know, you can't be okay with that. That's not good. You need to let that go and move on. Now, here's the last thing. I've told you four problems. Now I'm going to tell you the solution. Everybody say, yay. Yay. Yeah, okay, I like that. Those young people back there, they're with me because they know it's almost over. Okay. (laughs) So here's number one. Guilt says the best thing to do with guilt is to confess confess it that's what you do you get rid of it because confession is good for the soul you confess to god and you confess to one other person you trust you let them know about it and then you get healing and you let it go the second thing is anger what do you do with anger 
You forgive. That's the best antidote for anger. You know, you know what? No matter what happened, no matter what you did, no matter what you said, no matter what was supposed to happen, I'm just deciding you don't owe me anymore. I'm not angry. I'm canceling that debt. I forgive. The third thing is greed. The best thing to do for greed is to give because it just it blesses your heart. It just gets your focus off you and it puts your focus on somebody else. You focus on somebody else, you're going to feel better. So you write some big to you checks. You know what big to you checks are? They may not be big to anybody else, but they're big to you. And you say, hey, greed, watch this. I'm going to give it away. And you write it, and you give it, and you go, so there. Just take, put that in your pipe and smoke it. How about that? I just won greed, and you just lost. And then the fourth thing is jealousy. What do you do with jealousy? You celebrate. You celebrate. You celebrate when someone that you're jealous of, something good happens to them. You celebrate it. You genuinely, you say a prayer of thanksgiving, you, you think about what's it like to be them, and you celebrate. You don't, you're not jealous anymore. You just, and you do it out loud. You say it out loud. You say, I really mean this. I really believe this. I'm really going to celebrate this person. I was jealous of them, but now I'm going to celebrate because God has blessed them. He's blessed me, and he's blessed them, and I'm grateful. So here's my question. I'm going to wrap it up now. Here's my question for you today, and that's this. Is everything okay with your heart? Is everything okay with your heart? You need your heart to live. Your heart has to be healthy to live. Physically, there are things you can do to help keep your heart healthy. Spiritually, there are things you can do to help keep your heart healthy spiritually. So I just want to ask you today, how's your heart? You know, when I'm talking to you this morning, I'm, I'm talking about these four different emotions that we go through. And I'm, I'm sharing some of the things that we think and some of the things that happen. And I'm talking about that and you're listening to me. And then I say something and you go, Oh, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't, I didn't, oh, I don't like that. Because you know what? I, I have to confess I'm guilty of that, and I don't want to be guilty of that. You know what he's talking about? He's talking to me. He's talking to me when he says that, and how did he know? How did he know what's in my heart? How did he know what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling and, and how I'm just carrying this around that's so ugly inside? and I need to get rid of it. What am I going to do about that? You know, when you begin to celebrate that another person's life didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out, that's a red flag. And that's going to come out. It's dangerous. Because whatever's inside of us is going to come out of us. And if there's good, then good's going to come out. But if there's bad, then bad's going to come out. And that's why Jesus says, hey, Guard your heart. You think that the way you're thinking, the way you're feeling, the way you're acting, you think that doesn't matter. It does matter. It's more important than you realize. It affects you. So you need to make peace with God. You need to make peace with other people. You need to make peace with yourself. So your heart will be healthy. And all God's children said, amen. I want you to take your communion.